The Institute of Art and Ideas is excited to announce Closer to Truth as an official partner for our upcoming How the Light Gets In Festival at Hey on Why, happening this year, May 24th to 27th. Closer to Truth examines humanity's deepest questions with the world's greatest thinkers, from Nobel laureates and renowned scientists to theologians and best-selling authors. For 20 years, Closer to Truth has explored the deep questions of cosmos, consciousness, and meaning. This year, host Robert Lawrence Kuhn journeys to new depths with their philosophy of biology season, exploring topics like evolution, race, alien intelligences, sex and gender, and much more. Get early access to full episodes from this brand new season by registering for a free membership at their website, closertotruth.com. Discover the fundamental issues of existence, engage new and diverse ways of thinking, and seek out your own answers with Closer to Truth. The Institute of Art and Ideas, articles, videos, and podcasts. Hello and welcome to Philosophy for Our Times podcast that brings you the world's leading thinkers on today's biggest ideas. Can consciousness be explained in terms of the physical? And could AI ever become truly conscious? On this week's episode, we're debating popular and alternative theories of consciousness. We're joined remotely by philosopher of mind Tim Crane, metaphysical idealist Bernardo Castrup, and consciousness specialist Susan Blackmore. We join them as they try to come to a consensus on consciousness. Does that mean that consciousness is physical? Uh, well, here I have to turn into a philosopher and I say, well, I'm sorry, but that depends what you mean by physical. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review, join the conversation on Facebook and Twitter, and head over to our website, iai.tv. Back now to our host for this week's debate, Hilary Lawson. Despite the advances in neuroscience and the rapidly extending capacity of computers, we still have no adequate theory of consciousness, no account of how the brain is able to create experience, and no account of how the material stuff of the brain can be responsible for thought. Should we conclude that consciousness cannot be explained in terms of the physical? And if so, what is the alternative? Or is it just a matter of time? And one day an AI machine will miraculously find itself experiencing the world and its mere components will have soul. So is consciousness purely physical? And if not, what is the alternative? So Tim, if you can kick off for us. Thanks, Hilary. Well, I think of consciousness as um, a feature or property of uh, certain mental, mental occurrences, mental episodes, thoughts, feelings, sensations, conscious perceptual experiences. Um, and these, these are properties ultimately of living organisms. Um, and they are determined by what's going on in inside the organism and what's going on outside the organism, some combination of those, those things. Um, does that mean that consciousness is physical? Uh, well, here I have to turn into a philosopher and I say, well, I'm sorry, but that depends what you mean by physical. Um, the, the idea that consciousness might be physical has been tied to the doctrine of physicalism, um, which is a, a kind of inheritor of the 17th century notion of materialism, the idea that everything is matter, or everything is made of matter. Um, um, physicalism says something slightly different because it says that it, it ties its doctrine to physics and what physical science says, so physics strictly speaking. Um, I don't think there's any reason to think that consciousness is physical in that sense, that it's physical science that's going to tell us what the nature of consciousness is. Um, I think consciousness is a feature that um, of the states of living beings and not inanimate beings. Inanimate beings don't have consciousness. I think you have to be living to, to have consciousness. And I, I take that to be obvious. I know some people object to, the, to this, but, um, uh, you know, people are going to object. So what I want to say is that that's the, um, consciousness is not physical in the sense that physicalism or materialism uh, says that everything is physical. Um, nonetheless, consciousness is, I think, a property or feature of organisms which are 
material objects in the sense that they have material properties and uh, qualities and things like that. Well, that doesn't tell you anything about how to explain consciousness or how to understand it. It's just getting clear on the basic issue of whether you should think consciousness is something physical. I think consciousness is something psychological. And the psychological comes from, emerges out of the biological in a way that we don't understand. Um, but that's, um, my appeal to the idea of emergence there is is serious because I think that there are, there are some stages in the evolution of the world and the evolution of organisms where um, new things genuinely come into existence and whether or not we can understand how those things came into existence is an open question. Thank you, uh, Tim. Uh, Sue. Well, I'm going to start and probably end with perplexity. It is so difficult, this, this problem. Um, I want, before trying to, to, to answer directly, to, just to, to, to say anyone who thinks that they've got an answer to this, I would suggest is either an absolute genius or mistaken. And we were laughing earlier about all the emails that we get with people's, people's theories. It is really hard. It's hard because of dualism. Um, Tim has already kind of referred to that, but sitting here at my desk looking at this screen, there seem to be two completely kind of different kind of things in the world. My experience of looking at these four faces here or out over there, over the river, at the field and the green trees, all those questions about, you know, is your green the same as mine? And how do I know that any of you are conscious like I am? And we can't. All these problems are really serious. Now, my response to this is neither of the classic positions one of which is materialism, and um, Tim's already said a bit about this, but I would think the vast majority of people working on consciousness probably are materialists, certainly the majority, um, and they have the problem, obviously, of if you believe there is a, a material world there and it's responsible for everything, then kind of things Hillary said at the beginning, with which I absolutely disagree. <laughs> They've got to try and understand how a physical brain can produce consciousness. That's the classic hard problem defined by Dave Chalmers as to understand how subjective, i.e. personal, private experience can arise from physical activity in the brain, objective activity in the brain. It, it, it doesn't work. If we find ourselves in the hard problem, I think we should realize we've got something wrong. The hard problem says arises, Hillary said, is created by. You're stuck in, dual, in dualism, which nearly everybody agrees doesn't work. But now you take the other view, idealism, which I hope we're going to, well, we are going to hear much more about. Uh, and I, I would like to hear how Bernardo deals with this, because the classic problem of, of idealism is, well, why do we think there's a physical world? Why does it make sense? Why do you and I agree that we can see these pictures of each other and you can hear this voice and so on? I sit of an evening, I, I love just at the end of the day, just puzzling over this. And it seems to me that in a way, obviously everything's mind, not matter. Because the only thing that I have access to is the experiences, the books I've read that explain about molecules and, 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 and atoms and all that stuff. It's still my experience of reading them and uh, engaging with the science. So I, I get that feeling that it has to all be mind, but I cannot see how then we, we get physics and, and, and all of that kind of stuff. So where do I go from there? Personally, I go to illusionism. I am a so-called illusionist. I think the way to tackle this problem is to say we, we humans in general, with our language and our upbringing and our culture and our societies, we are deluded about the nature of consciousness. We are deluded in the sense that when we think about consciousness and talk about it, we say, I am conscious of this. There's the, the, the there's contents of consciousness. Consciousness isn't a container, but we talk about it like that. Some things come into consciousness and some go out. Uh, there's a sort of place where they happen. People look for the neural correlates of consciousness, where it happens, the magic. Um, you mentioned magic uh, earlier, Hillary, and that's a problem. It's mysterious and it's magical. So my view is we have to go at this from two directions. One, the scientific and philosophical. The other, the personal inquiry. Because, of course, mystics throughout the ages have said the same thing. We're deluded about the nature of self and about the nature of the world. 
And there are many, many people, myself included, who've trained over decades and decades to be able to get into a state where self and other become one. Uh, there isn't any distinction. Dual, the problem of dualism has gone away. But I can't go from that to, a, to an, a, a scientific or philosophical answer. So there we are. I'm back to perplexity. And I think that's a good place to be when we're tackling the problem of consciousness. Thank you, Sue. Uh, Bernardo. I think by virtue of the way we've defined the physical, um, consciousness is not physical by definition. And worse yet, it cannot even be reduced to the physical because of that definition. You see, we define the physical as basically that which has no phenomenal qualities, that which is exhaustively described in terms of a list of abstract quantities, such as mass, charge, momentum, spin, geometric relationships, frequency, amplitude, and so on and so forth. Um, and of course, there is nothing about these abstract quantities in terms of which we could deduce uh, the quality of seeing a red apple or tasting the apple or the quality of feeling a bellyache or falling in love. So by definition, we've turned these two domains into incommensurable domains. One is a given experience, the qualities of our inner life, and the other is a co conceptual creation. Uh, the physical world. Um, I think the way this divide came about was that um, uh, quantities are very handy for uh, describing the relative differences of uh, the qualities of experience. For instance, uh, if I see red, uh, that's different from seeing blue, and there is a very handy way to describe this difference in terms of a frequency delta, which is a number. But then we've taken this description, this handy description of relative differences between qualities, and we said, well, this is actually uh, an existent. It exists in and of itself, and we called it matter and energy or the physical world out there. We gave it an ontological reality that it didn't have in the beginning. It was a mere description of something else. And worse yet, we not only edified it as an independent ontological reality, we, we now try to reduce the qualities which, were, which is where we started, to that conceptual creation of consciousness, which exists in consciousness. And that, of course, cannot work. Uh, I think the misstep was that, um, look, it, it is obvious that there is a world out there, independent of my mind, your mind, anybody's mind. There is a world out there that has an autonomous, independent existence. It, it exists in and of itself. So it's outside our individual personal minds. But then we very discreetly put an extra, an extra unexamined step on this statement. We said not only is this world outside uh, anybody's individual mind, it is outside mind as an ontological category. It is something else. What's something else? Well, those numbers that were, we used in a very handy way to describe the relative differences of experience. Uh, yeah, th that's where it goes wrong. Uh, I think uh, the objective world out there exists, but it is constituted by transpersonal mental states, which present to us in the form, in the form we call physicality, just as my phenomenal inner life presents itself to you in the form of the matter that constitutes my body. Okay, uh, thank you, Bernardo. I'm sure we'll uh, be wanting to explore the things that you're putting forward there. Let me begin in terms of trying to divide up the, how we might approach this with just starting with the question of whether the physical or the material is all there is. And I think in some ways, and perhaps there's something of a sign of the times, that none of you are quite arguing for a purely material account. So, Tim, perhaps I, I can begin with you and explore you, what you were saying before. Are you, wh why not just stick with materialism as being a full account of consciousness? What, what is it that's encouraging you to, to want to move away from materialism? Well, that's a great question. I mean, I think um, materialism is an ambitious metaphysical doctrine. It's not a recovery of science. Uh, and similarly, physicalism, the modern version of materialism, is the same. Um, and make, making claims about the world as a whole, that the world is entirely describable by, by physics, uh, is contrary to our experience. There's, there's, and it's contrary to science and scientific practice. Mm. Science discovers actually plurality. Um, science diversifies. There are many, many sciences that talk about many different things which are not treated in the way that um, Bernardo was talking about as um, 
the, 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 the numerical methods of um, physics treat things. So I think we should we take the plurality of things at face value. We see organisms, we see um, social phenomena, we see historical facts, we see chemical phenomena uh, and physical phenomena, geological phenomena, meteorological phenomena, and so on. Um, and so I see a plurality, and I don't think any of this is reducible or explicable in terms of physics, strictly speaking. And I think actually most physicalists don't think it is. They, what they think is that you fix the physical, fix the physical facts, the physical nature of things, and everything else is determined by that. So that fixes everything, so, so to speak. If God wanted to create our world just as it is, all he would have to do would be to just put together the atoms and the molecules. All right, so, so that begins to look a bit more like materialism again, in the sense that if the idea is that these other aspects, say the psychological or whatever, emerge, this sense of emergence is, it surely just means, well, actually, it just means that the physical can get to a point where consciousness just appears. And it's not, in some sense, fundamentally different. It's embedded there in the material stuff in the first place. Yeah, I mean, you could say it's not fundamentally different because it's, we're living in a material world and everything emerged from the material, material nature of the world some, in some way or another that we don't really understand. Okay. Um, or you could say it's very different because they're very different kinds of things. I think the temptation to say that it's fundamentally different comes from this um, idea that we got from the 17th century that we have to think of we have to think of the world as, as um, consisting of substance, which is some sort of fundamental reality, which is either material or mental. And Sue was talking about dualism, and of course Descartes was the ultimate dualist, he thought that the world is, you know, real beings, their fundamental reality must either be material or they must be mental. Um, but I think we should give up on that idea of substance. And once we've given up on the idea of substance, then we basically should give up on the question of materialism and dualism and idealism. That's my, that's my line. And just accept the plurality of beings. I don't want to accept it. I want to understand. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, understanding uh, it is another thing, I agree. Yeah, and, and just having a plurality, that's sort of saying, well, you're just going to duck out of the ontology here. You're not going to choose, oh, well, this one's primary or that one's primary. We just have a plurality. But, but isn't that, you know, aren't you really wanting to prior to, uh, prioritize material in the sense that you're saying, well, other things emerge from material. It's material that's the primary thing. So it looks as if this is a, you know, you're still really a materialist at heart. Well, if you want to call me names, that's fine. Yeah, I, I, yeah, so yeah, I, yeah. I, I mean, I'll, I'm just trying to clarify just, yeah. just where we all are in, yeah. this, in this debate. And, and, and maybe, Bernardo, be a good to, uh, to bring you in here. Obviously, you're, you're not on that side of the, uh, of the dualist split. I mean, uh, are you saying that there, there is only mind, that uh, the material is a, you know, construct of, of a combination of minds. Yes, that's what I'm saying. But it's not that there is only your mind and my mind. Um, my view of mind is exactly what Tim was trying to get rid of, uh, uh, a ontological substrate, uh, a substance, but I, I use this word in a more flexible way. Uh, you see, um, is all there is physical? Well, empirically, that's not the case. It, it's a fact that it's not the case. Physical is the science of modeling and predicting uh, what appears on the screen of perception. It's the science of perception. Uh, it predicts what will be displayed on the screen of perception, even if you have to use instrumentation for that, because you know the output of an instrument is accessible to you only insofar as you perceive it. Uh, so physics is, is that science of perception, but there is more than perceptual states in the human mind. I have feelings, I have desires, I have emotions, none of which can be modeled or predicted by physics. You could say, well, if you reduce mind to matter, then eventually by implication, uh, it will be physical too. Yeah, but th that's a philosophical hypothesis. It doesn't change the fact that quantum physics doesn't predict my next thought, doesn't predict the way I will feel tomorrow. So I think if you understand that physicality is what appears on the screen of perception, it's pretty obvious that that's not all there is. I also have endogenous 
experiential states that I would still have even if I were locked up in an ideal sensory deprivation chamber. I, I, can I get more to the bottom of what Bernardo is talking about? Um, so you said there's not just your mind and my mind and all the other people who are listening here's mind, but mind in general or mind in some more broad sense. I constantly come back to this kind of idea, often called the ground of being or something, or mind, you know, is this some kind of mind that is then divided up into bits into, into people? If so, then I'm tempted into either a, a problem I can't solve, why, which bits of the brain are doing or whatever, and you get back into those problems, or I get into some kind of panpsychism where I want to say, okay, mind is fundamental, anything that is of a certain kind is part of this mind what is that representations i mean one form of panpsychism would be anything that builds any kind of representation it's what it's like to be is what that representation says so what it's like to be me is a deluded person who thinks they're sitting inside their head looking out at the physical world out there that's because that's the way this brain does it but there's a billion other things going on in this brain which are you know um, mapping and, and predicting and all, all of the perceiving things and there, there'd be something like to be them so there isn't just really my mind there's multiple minds I mean I can go in many many ways of that I don't know if any of these kind of bring any bells for you what you've struggled with but that's where I am can you help me to understand where you are with respect to those kinds of problems I, I am not a constitutive panpsychist I don't think my cell phone has a mind of its own in the same way that I don't think a individual neuron in my brain has an inner life of its own. I think the neuron is part of a broader image that presents itself to you, and that's basically my body, my brain, uh, and it is that... But who's the you who it presents to? I think each living being is a dissociated uh, uh, process in, in a broader uh, substrate of mind. And it, it is that dissociation that creates the screen of perception. Because uh, what is within the boundaries of my dissociative process, I feel as my endogenous experience, my feelings, my emotions. And those experiences that, that are beyond the boundary of my particular dissociative process uh, impinges on that dissociative boundary and appear to me in the form of the contents of perception. So this is, this is what creates an asymmetry in mind. And, you know, dissociation is psychiatrically recognized and has been proven in the last 10 years uh, by, by neuroimaging. So I, I think nature is giving us hints about what's going on. And I think what matter fundamentally is, is what inner life looks like from across a dissociative boundary. I would even why does say, it look like anything? I guess that's the, 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 the bottom line is, why does it look like or feel like anything at all? Oh, we've still got that problem, haven't we? Imagine that you, you, you're going through a, a tough time emotionally. Somebody died in your family, something bad happened to you. But you go to work and you need to compartmentalize that. So it's outside of your consciousness for as long as you are at work. But it still impinges on it. That repressed emotion is not felt directly, but it impinges on it and modulates your thinking while you are at work. What I would say is uh, the transpersonal, transpersonal experiential states beyond my dissociative boundary, in other words, uh, the world out there, they impinge uh, on, on that dissociative boundary and modulate my inner life. And the result of that is perception, is uh, the things I see and I hear and I smell. Uh, so, of course, there was a time back in the 19th century when idealism related to the sort of things you're saying, Bernardo, was the dominant philosophical view. And at some point, uh, it became less fashionable. And dualism also became unfashionable. Uh, and people moved to some sort of monist position. So, uh, Tim and Susan, neither of you, are, I think, are wanting to maintain a dualist framework. You're wanting to escape from this distinction between mind on one side and body on the other, which is very, very embedded in our culture, that split. What is it about that split that you don't like? Why don't you want to have the dualist split between mind and body? Tim. Um, well, I'm happy to have a split between mind and body um, because I think minds and bodies are different things. Uh, as long as we also have a split between between you know the, the the organic parts of the body 
and we have split between organic things and inorganic things, and we have split between large things and big things between between um, galaxies and um, planets. And so, there, are many, there are many kinds of split. But, so, but, but I want to say because I want to say the way the way that the, the split this mind and body split gets started uh, is by assuming something like a distinction of substances. Uh, and if there is no such thing as substance, if that's a bad way of thinking, um, then these distinctions just become distinctions of um, different categories of being. Yeah. So in a way, your objection to dualism is that you just don't want any category. You don't want to prioritize any categories at all. That I don't want to prioritize, don't prioritize the category of substance. I'm, I'm very happy with the category of, of consciousness and the category of thought or representation. And th but these are qualities of organisms or the mental states of organisms that's i think that's what we know and i think i think the substance on people talk as if you can talk about dualism materialism and idealism and so on as if that question of substance was not was not being presupposed as if we all know somehow what it is to be a dualist but what it is to be a dualist if if we're ignoring the historical tradition the question of substance is just to say there are two things of course there are two things. There are two kinds of things. There are three kinds of things. There are four kinds of things. Therefore, there are two. So that, and that's, that's not an interesting distinction. So the interesting distinction is supposed to be this distinction in fundamental kinds of beings, uh, which um, Bernardo is assuming, and I'm not, I'm not sure that's Sue. But I'm not assuming. I think we should, we I don't. should step away from that. Yeah. Sue? I don't assume that. What, what's, what's your You're assuming some sort of... I feel this distinction is really problematic and I can understand it what the Tim was getting away from it but you know I'm feeling my desk now this this what it's like this thing that what we're trying to explain consciousness you said earlier um, didn't you Tim about uh, uh, emergence and I find this such a slippery and difficult concept that usually people will say something like well wetness is an emergent property of, of, of the chemistry of water well we can, I mean, if we take that as a prime example, then yeah, so, but you can understand physics, physicists and chemists have begun to understand exactly why the property of the atoms and molecules and so on does produce, when you put a whole lot of them together, this quality of, um, uh, of, of having, what's it called? Wetness, yeah. The surf, surf, oh, surface, surface tension. You know, all, all these properties of wetness. Um, now, you could say consciousness emerges, loads of people do emerges from brain processes i think this is fundamentally different from how thought emerges from brain processes both hillary and tim have mentioned thought alongside consciousness i think that fundamentally different we can very we're beginning to see very clearly how thought emerges there's wonderful stuff which enables you it's very complicated to do and takes a very long time and massive big data processing but you can actually using fmri uh, find out what somebody's thinking and then you can see what's happening in what parts of the brain and why they're thinking that you can even it's even been done with dreaming and see what people are dreaming about so in principle we're getting towards how thought emerges and we can see how emotions emerge through the you know the pituitary glands and all the other connections between brain and hormones and, and all of that and the heart and, and what have you um i still think i'm back to my perplexity that consciousness is not that kind of a problem. And I think this is where a lot of scientists and philosophers disagree on this. Is it a different kind of problem or is it a similar kind of problem? I think it's a different kind of problem because of this, what it's like to be it. And I was asking Bernardo, well, why is it like anything? Or maybe I'm just being childish, but that's what I come back to. Why is it like anything? And why is it like this? Those kind of emergent questions that we're beginning to answer so well in terms of the brain, haven't yet, you might say. But isn't there the same it's issue with thought? Isn't there the same issue with thought, Sue? In the sense that yes, you know, we've got we've got uh, scans uh, which light up uh, when which are just about blood flow, basically. So bits of blood flow in the brain uh, increase uh, when we uh, in a way that is associated with certain sorts of thoughts. But thoughts are fundamentally different sort of stuff. Than the that, than the material blood flow, aren't they? And, and we don't we've got no sense of what the connection is. We we may we may be able to you know get, get our blood flow correct related to our thoughts. We've no idea what the, what the connection is. We're getting at there, I think, at the the experience of having a thought. And I was thinking more about we can answer questions like what does it mean to think 
um, E equals MC squared or to think, oh, I think I'm rather hungry. Shall I go and have a piece of toast? I mean, the content of those thoughts, I think there when you talk about the content of thought, that's something we can, we can in principle understand and are beginning to see how a brain can do it. When you talk about the contents of consciousness, this is slippery and disappears. The more you stare at any experience, hear, listen, or whatever, the more slippery it becomes. It's not like that. We, you know, we can say, uh, I mean, color is a very good example. We know that color experience emerges, if you like, from a combination of, of, of wavelengths hitting the eyes and, and the kind of brain you've got, kind of eyes you've got, and it's different for everybody and it's different for every species. Now, we can say that, we can see where it's happening through V1 and up to V4, and oh, originally through the thalamus, we can understand all that and look at what's happening in the brain and see that person's looking at red or whatever it is. But why is it like this? I mean, I know <laughs> I know that Dan Denley would say, that's, that's the wrong question. I mean, lots of people would, but I, that's what I come back to. But I'm, it, I'm with uh, Hillary on this one, I must say. Yeah. Sorry. Well, I, I hope I'm not in a, I, I'm hopefully a neutral host here, but... Uh, I, well, uh, uh, on the question of, of the distinction between thought and consciousness, it seems to me that if, that if consciousness is puzzling in the way that Sue says, then thinking something is, is equally puzzling. Seems to I, me. If I understood Sue, I think what she means is uh, uh, we can predict uh, what the thought might be, we can understand uh, uh, what that thought is, but the fact that it's accompanied by experience is the great mystery in, in, in her view. Yes. And, and I'd add to that, that we wouldn't be able to tell whether we were having that thought consciously or so-called unconsciously. Sorry to interrupt. So I don't think a thought is accompanied by consciousness. I thought I think a thought is a conscious episode. So I think when we think something consciously, it's 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 essentially conscious. So whatever's going on in the so case of so you can't thought, have an unconscious thought. Uh, no, I, I, well, I mean, there's, there are unconscious beliefs and there are unconscious representational states. It's true. Yeah. But I think when when you're when you're talking, if I if I'm understanding the sort of things you're alluding to. So is the, when asking people to visualize playing tennis or something like this, these are conscious episodes. Do you want to hear more from the world's leading thinkers? If the answer to that question is yes, subscribe to iai.tv for unlimited access to thousands of debates, talks, articles, academy courses, and live events. Are you bored of the surface level news, politics, sports, and entertainment coverage on your newsfeed? Go deeper. Get the philosophy behind the news and get the latest big ideas from the world's leading thinkers on subjects at the core of the human condition, life, the universe, and everything in between. It's free for the first month and there's no commitment to pay, so subscribe now to understand the world beyond the surface level. Perhaps, perhaps I... I mean, the, there's something of a consensus here. I mean, with profoundly different positions, but there's something of a consensus here that consciousness can't be just simply explained as purely material. And I wonder whether if we move on to a more sort of concrete question, it, it might elucidate our, our, our different approaches to this. So, so let, let's turn to the question of whether artificial intelligence, AI, could ever be conscious. So, Susan, do, do you think artificial intelligence could be conscious? I don't have a fixed, firm theory of consciousness, as you can probably gather, but oh, I, would, I, would, I would stick my neck out where I think at the moment and say, I am uh, kind of panpsychist at any kind of system that is interacting with the world. It's a, it's a system which has any kind of representation of itself as separate from the world. Um, will be as deluded as we are into thinking there is this mysterious thing called consciousness and a mysterious thing called a self. So the AI will be conscious when it is uh, capable of representing itself as separate from the world. And it will be conscious in the sense that we are, i.e. a delusional sense of separating. Yeah, okay. So, so Below so that, I would say there will be something it's like to be uh, this phone here. I would say there's something it's like to be some of the processes going in there that are representing things, whatever. But they're fleeting and inconsequential compared to the illusory sort of a consciousness of a, I am an entity and there's a world out there. I think yep. we already have AI of that kind, and I therefore think there is already artificial, artificial consciousness yeah. Okay, so uh, it, you have a sense that a machine could be consciousness if somehow it could make a distinction between itself 
and the rest of, of the world that it was operating in. Yeah. Uh, Bernardo, would you go along with that? Is, is, is it conceivable that a, a machine could be conscious? Yeah, this subject is very close to my heart. It happened to be my work for, for a while. Um, no, uh, I, I would disagree fundamentally uh, with uh, Susan here. I, I know where she's coming from. Uh, if you try to explain consciousness in terms of quantities, in other words, in terms of a description of the contents of consciousness, and you try to make it the cause of it, uh, it's impossible. And then you have to say that consciousness somehow is an illusion. The problem is that an illusion itself is also felt and experienced. Um, but, but I see what is forcing her down that road. I, I think differently. Um, you see, I, I can simulate kidney function on, on my computer down to uh, the lowest level chemical details, molecular details. And a perfect simulation of kidney function on my computer. But it will not make my computer pee on my desk because a, a simulation is not the thing simulated. So I don't think that by building a computer, that will simulate the flow of information that we can measure on a human brain, that that computer will be conscious in the way uh, we seem to be conscious. And you see, before being a computer engineer, I was an electronics engineer. That was my bachelor's and my master's. Um, and I, I know that everything a computer does can, in principle, be done instead of with wires and electrons flowing and transistors. It can be done with pipes, taps, and water. Everything can be done that way. Um, so people who say that when an AI, will, when it becomes complex enough, consciousness will, will appear, that's equivalent to saying that if you put enough pipes, water, and taps together, then somehow, at some point, that will become conscious. I think this is a belief in magic. It's a belief in, in, in absurdity, even. So, no, I don't think whatever we do with a silicon computer will ever be conscious in the way you and I are, because we are metabolizing carbon-based organisms. So we are very, very different from anything we can put together in silicon. Do I think consciousness underlies all matter? All matter? Yes, I think so. But that's a different position than to say that, uh, that a phone is conscious or that a spoon is conscious. Um, and probably I don't have time to, to go into new, the nuances of the differences, but I will leave it at that. I don't think an AI will ever be a CI unless, unless uh, we find the secret of abiogenesis, unless we make uh, the secret of creating life from non-life. I think private consciousness is an inherent feature. It, it, it is what biological life is. Thank you, Bernard. Uh, Sue, I mean, uh, consciousness uh, coming from the material, it would be magical. This is uh, Bernardo's position. Yeah, I want to ask Bernardo, what would you have to add? I mean, we already have combined bio-silicon uh, entities. Um, what, what, <clears throat> what kind of combined entity would you need? What is it you need to add to the silicon that makes it suddenly different? Why is silicon processing different from neural processing? What would you add to make a conscious machine of sorts? I think um, a being that has private conscious inner life appears to other beings, to the observation of other beings in the form of what we call metabolizing life. I think metabolizing life is the extrinsic appearance of private conscious inner life. It's what private conscious inner life looks like when viewed from across the dissociative boundary. And a silicon computer doesn't look like uh, a metabolizing organism. So I don't see any reason to associate private inner life to a silicon computer. It may simulate the flow of information in a, in, a, in a biological organism. But again, a simulation is not the phenomenon, phenomenon simulated. Uh, a, a silicon computer is very, very different at the molecular level than a metabolizing organism. So you're not imagining perception in, in, the, in the predictive um, processing kind of idea that it's, you know, we're simply simulating a world all the time. That's not the way you're thinking about mind as being kind of simulation. Well, I would prefer to think it in terms of an imagination. Um, there is a word in Dutch and German that uh, captures this uh, much better, verbuilding, 
Uh, it's, it's basically you're creating images. I think mind creates images. It's, it's what mind does. And what I mean by images more than just visual images. I, I use the word in a, in a flexible way. Um, but that doesn't mean that there is something being simulated on a material substrate. And, and, and that is the difference. I don't think that this world is simulated in the sense that it's being created in a substrate that is different from the experience itself. I think it's just the natural behavior of, of mind. This is, what, this is what mind does. So, Tim, if we built a computer that was functionally equivalent to the brain, would it, would it just produce consciousness? In some ways, that's a loaded question. So I want to say, if you built something, if you built something that yeah. did whatever the brain did, or if you built a copy of the whole organism that does whatever the organism did, then of course you build something that thinks and is conscious because the organism thinks and is conscious. So that's one of the things that organisms do. Right? Um, so yes, in that sense, artificial intelligence is possible if it were possible to build a complete replica of a human being doing everything that the human being does, then you would re reproduce thinking because that and and consciousness because those that's some of the things that human beings do. That does not imply that AI, as it's currently practiced in any of its forms, or that any compu any computer could do all the things that human beings do. I mean, I mean, just think of the what AI is actually about is about um, solving problems. So you have a problem like you know recognizing faces, or you have a problem of turning speech into text, or you have a problem like, um, you know, how to beat the world champion of Go, right? You can say what those problems are. You can say what the aim of the problem is. What's the aim of consciousness, right? <laughs> the whole idea doesn't make any sense, right? There isn't, consciousness doesn't have an aim. It's not something for which there is an algorithm that could be computed um, by, a, um, by a computer. So I think we should distinguish the question of whether a material replica of a human being would do all the things that a human being does. And that's, that, and that's what you were calling materialism earlier on. I mean, so yeah. that, I agree I'm a materialist. From the question of whether AI will ever produce consciousness, which I think the answer is obviously no. And, you know, sorry, Sue, I don't think my phone's conscious. Nor, nor can, can I respond? Yes. Would, would, you, would you say that um, a dog is conscious? Or would you say, a, I've got a lot of tadpoles at the moment in tanks. Would you say a tadpole is conscious? Yes, uh, Bernardo's saying yes, Tim. The reason I ask this is because... Yeah, Certainly frogs are conscious. I don't know at what level consciousness develops in tadpoles, but dogs are conscious, of course. Yeah. Well, then what I'm getting at is you've put, made the hard task of AI reproducing, you know, an entire human. But if we, are, if we are speculating consciousness down to a much simpler level, then it will be much easier to produce some, su such a thing than but, it is to produce every, everything that a human does. But then, uh, so wouldn't that be abiogenesis, the creation of life from non-life? Uh, I think abiogenesis will be possible at some point, and I think what it will create will be conscious, and that will then be artificial conscious, consciousness. But that's not a simulation, it's not an emulation, you're actually creating life. And I think that I life is the extrinsic appearance of conscious inner, inner life. So then I would agree, yeah, that, that's artificial consciousness, but it, it, it is artificial life. Mm. I see what you mean. I understand. Yeah, that get, takes you back to it's got to be it's got to be living. Yeah. yeah. But but Tim Bernardo there is making some sort of clear distinction between life, uh, mind, if you like, uh, his, his his version of life, and and non-mind. Uh, you're not you're not happy with that as a as a primary distinction. Um, oh yeah, no, I'm happy with the distinction between life and mind. Yeah, there are some some things that are alive that don't have minds, and some things alive that do have minds and then there are some things that aren't alive at all so i think those kind of categorizations are absolutely fundamental and and really important uh, i don't think any of those categorizations give you the debate between materialism and dualism um as it was traditionally conceived uh, so i'd rather try and give up on those uh, those debates and keep the classifications which are real and and obvious to us like the difference between the living and the non-living or the difference between the conscious and the non-conscious um, which isn't a sharp distinction, and, and here, so I think um, viruses come to mind, but I perhaps ought yeah. not to mention that. Could I just say some, just one more thing, just following on what, what Sue said about emergence, that idea of emergence. Yeah. I, mean, I completely agree that using the word emergence is not an explanation at all. It's just indicating that there is something genuinely different, something genuinely new, which is not simply 
um, the atoms and molecules out of which it, it is constituted. How we understand that, you know, what, how we explain this is a completely different question. I mean, that's a further question. I, I agree with you. And what do you what do you understand by what that new is? What, what is what what is the new thing that is, that is different? It's a reality of its own, and it's not. A, it's not just. I mean, there are some things. And here, I do want to go back to some ideas of the past, not um, not Descartes, but to to Aristotle. I mean, Aristotle thought that he, Aristotle's use of the word substance meant um, was a, a thing that had its own kind of principle of unity. So for Aristotle, he, the paradigm substances were organisms. Uh, and he didn't think in terms of matter versus mind. He thought in terms of individual things that have unity and organization of their own. So you know, a pile of stones on the road is not a substance. It's not a fundamental unity. A cloud of dust is not a fundamental unity. But an organism that has the capacity to reproduce itself, that has the capacity to grow and develop, um, is a a fundamental being or a substance, but not in the in the Cartesian uh, sense. Um, but Tim, is a car a fundamental unity? Well, I think so, but Aristotle would say no because it's an artifact. But I, I think a car has a unity. It's not a fundamental unity. I mean, I think there are more artifacts are less real than than organisms. Uh, the United Nations is less real than nations. Nations are less real than the people that make them up. Um, but, but a car wouldn't... Fundamental unities. That's my Aristotelian view. Let's consider a sort of final theme, which is, are we ever going to be able to explain consciousness fully? Is there something about consciousness which is necessarily eludes us? Or can we imagine a situation where in uh, some time to come, uh, it will just be regarded as being something that's been solved? Uh, Sue? Yes, I think that's what will happen. It will go away. But I think it will go away as a problem. The same way that um, life went away. You know, the elan vital, there's something very special about life. And we don't agonize about that anymore. I think it will go away that way. But I think it can only go away that way when we dismantle the illusion we have, when we stop asking, where is it produced in the brain? Stop asking what is the power. You know, people talk about the power of consciousness. If we stop asking what consciousness can do, if we stop asking you know, where it appears, how it appears, um, what it can do, because it doesn't actually do anything and it isn't the kind of problem that we think it is when we imagine a conscious inner self who has, I mean, a, a, an inner being who has consciousness and free will and all of that. I think we have to dismantle all of that before we'll be able to look at what we know about the brain and the world and see why it wasn't the problem we thought it was. But we're a long way off that at the moment, I think. Tim? I think it's useful to think of what, what sort of model or what analogy we're using when we talk about explaining consciousness. Um, so this, this, the sort of standard picture is that explaining consciousness is a bit like you know, getting a man on the moon. Like we know there's the moon, right? here's our rocket, here's the man. And we know when we've got it, there's the man, it's on the moon, we've done it, right? we've explained <laughs> consciousness. But I wonder whether a better model might be something like curing cancer. People talk about, is there a cure for cancer? Are we getting close to a cure for cancer? Well, as a matter of fact, there are many, many cures for cancer. And cancer is many things. Cancer has been cured in many ways. And, and if you get cancer now, your chances of surviving are so much better than they were because of people how, how people understand what people understand about cancer. But we'll never get to the point of saying, now we've cured cancer, like, you know, we eradicate a smallpox or whatever. like that. Suppose we were in a situation that we were just describing about generating a machine. Um, if we were able to generate machines, which appear to have all of the characteristics of consciousness, uh, I think we could say that we'd explained consciousness. And yet you were pretty definitive about saying that wasn't going to happen. And I wonder whether the fact that you thought that it's not going to happen is because you think there is something about consciousness which is not explicable. Um, I think there's something about consciousness that a computer doesn't do. Yeah, that's right. But um, um, whether it's explicable in other terms, so I'm very sympathetic to the to the bio, the biologism that I hear around the, with the speakers here. Rather than, I mean, AI doesn't try to understand human thought. Um, AI tries to solve problems that would require intelligence if done by human beings. 
So but I think in the question, question in the yeah. question about artificial intelligence and whether it's possible or not, and whether we could have a conscious machine, we didn't define what that technology would consist of, or how it would be done, or how we'd go about it. But you were still pretty sure that it wasn't going to happen. It's not going to be a computer. That's what I said. But but it. But as I said to you, if you could build, if you could build something that is um, that is a copy of what a human being does, then that that copies everything a human being does, then that thing will be able to think. I agree with that. But that, that's a very trivial claim, I think. Sure. Bernardo, are we going to crack it? <laughs> um, you know, when we talk about explaining something, what we mean is we want to account for something in terms of something else. That's what an explanation means. You account for it in terms of something else, which means that Ultimately, you cannot explain everything because there has to be that one thing in terms of which you account for everything else that your reduction base. I think consciousness is that thing in terms of which you explain everything else. Uh, and I think what we will get to one day is we will make sense of everything. We will be able to account for everything in terms of the patterns of excitation and the topology of consciousness. And that will be the ultimate. You cannot go beyond that. Otherwise, you have a, a circular explanatory system that has no value. So no, we will not explain consciousness, but we will explain everything in terms of consciousness. That's the ultimate. I think we need another whole whole session on that. <laughs> do, you, do you want to say something in response to it? <laughs> no, no. I, I mean, I love that idea, but then I kind of go, oh, am I really going to? Yes. I, it, the idea comes to me looking at that tree waving in the wind out there. Um, we're going to understand how trees operate and the metabolism of them and the photosynthesis and everything else in terms of consciousness. I'm sort of smiling and laughing because it seems such a, a lovely way of turning things upside down, but I, I need to work that through and, and see whether I can, can really grasp what Bernardo means by, that, by this. Uh, I'm going to have to wrap this up. It's been a fascinating conversation. Uh, I'm sure there will be further conversations about consciousness to come. <laughs> um, uh, but thank you to all of the speakers, Tim Crane, Susan Blackmore and Bernardo Castro. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Philosophy for Our Times. Remember to like, subscribe and review wherever you listen. And tune in next week for more big ideas from the world's leading thinkers.